is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Good Thursday, Jay Sandoz, Keith Bragg, another edition of Jay and Keith, the podcast version, which is our only version, I think, but that's okay. All right, question, uh, Keith, have you had an epic fail on Valentine's Day go? Uh, I know what you're going to tell us, and I have not had a fail this epic on Valentine's Day. No. Uh, Last night, I I made my wife dinner, and I brought her uh, a dozen... A bouquet of a dozen candy bars in a uh, bucket that was filled with even more candy to keep the candy bars from falling over because they were on sticks. Um, and she loved that. B- bouquet of candy, I feel like, is a good way to go. You like if you look at roses and you get a little bit of sticker shock, and you're like, the the candy is good. And also, just from a philosophical standpoint, like. The roses are a beautiful thing that you look at for a few days, and then they die and you throw them in the trash. You get to eat candy. Edible arrangements are the way to go. So uh, I did not have an epic fail of this Valentine's Day. Um, I think probably the worst one I ever had was, I think I might have been on the road for one. But that's not really something I can necessarily control. But, yes, you had an epic Valentine's Day fail. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, I don't I mean, you could keep hammering me there before I, I get to tell you my fail. Uh, I probably had other fails, uh, but this one, you know, trying to be a little bit of husband of the year, right? Bought the, uh, you've been to the Martin Center, right? Great place to watch yeah. stuff. I'm right? going there Saturday night for the Symphony. Right, my fair lady was in town uh, for a couple of shows. And you, so you did, you've already told me this story once, and I did have to double check my Symphony tickets, well, just in case. That's what I'm telling you to do, because <laughs> no matter when you think you buy them, and got a sitter, nice dinner, we did the dinner, we'd go to the movies, we scanned the ticket, all of a sudden a big red X, and a I'm like, uh, let's try this other ticket. And I'm looking at my thing, I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I got this. And then sure enough, we go to the box office and I bought Monday tickets. And we were indeed Tuesday in there, and I'm like, well, can I exchange tickets? They were like, well, if this was Monday, then yes, but because Monday's already sold, then we can't really do something. But hey, you can pay another, you know, two hundred fifty bucks to get in. But you can't sit side by side. You can sit one in front of another one. Like you know, you you could look at the back of your wife's head, or your wife look at the back of your head, and um, we can do that. Yeah. And uh, then there was one that said, well, we do have one free ticket. You'd have to buy another one, but uh, one would be in the balcony, one would be down low. And I'm like, okay, this defeats the whole purpose of. So we ended up renting My Fair Lady for three ninety nine yeah. on Amazon Prime and and watching it. Uh, downstairs for date night, and but yes, the the fail. Uh, I know they say the thought that counts, but that was I think my wife's first ever play when she was like eight. So to oh. say she was really jacked up about going to see that, and then it being a epic fail, um, and yeah, then and then to compound that fail, I had to watch on Valentine's Day. We'll transition second, but I had to watch each issue chat, and I had to go to Chattanooga yeah. on Valentine's Day. To Chattanooga, I had to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana, Valentine's Day, 2018. Um, to watch North Dakota State and uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne is what it was at the time. Oh, 
Not IUPUI or, yeah, not or, IP, or not IPFW. That's okay. IUPUI is different because IUPUI. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we play Fort Wayne. Are they the Mastodons? Yes, the yes, Mastodons. So, yes, they've come here. We've yes, played, yes, we have yes, played in front of 477 teams. announced at the Gate Sports Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. I was the day now. Valentine's was there day a warm body count? Because sometimes, you know, the 477 is uh, tickets bought, not the warm bodies. Might have been 100. Or cold bodies in the building. Might have been 100, not counting the people on That's the That's just it, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Valentine's Day was the travel day that year. And then the 15th, we played the game, and at least North Coast State won by, 18, by a 14. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, – that was, that was – Oh man, I'm just looking at that roster, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is this team is, this is a trip," because let's see, uh, yeah, nope, nope. I think one of these players, two of these players graduated, and one of them barely played. Well, no, three, three of them did, four of them did, but it's not, it was well, not, it's not very many. That was that was a rough year, and that was also my last Valentine's Day with that particular party. We have also spent. Um, well, it's probably a sign, but uh, also. Nothing since Valentine's Day like baseball. We've had opening day a few times following yeah, Valentine's Day and 40-degree right. weather at the the Tom or Old Cardinal Park or depending on where, where it fell. But, uh, yeah, Valentine's Day uh, in our line of work, generally you're working, traveling, one or the other, so you have to try to celebrate. So try to celebrate early, but right. anyways, Valentine's Day fell. I just didn't know if I was the only guy. and um, At least for this Valentine's Day I was. You were. You were the only one for this Valentine's Day. That failed, and not one of many thousands of men that failed. Now you're speaking of Valentine's Day. I was gonna say, are you, are you gonna, is he gonna hit the bumper? Is are we gonna are we gonna transition? Is he gonna play the bed? Is it, what is, what's he doing? Well, I have to talk about the game last night, and honestly, I guess we didn't, we didn't talk about Furman, but a couple of couple of different style games. ETSU defensively, the Furman game, unbelievable. Um, just offensively, again, couldn't quite make enough shots. Uh, and then last night, ETSU got to 70, which is the first time they've done it in four or five games. But, you know, for whatever reason, Chattanooga's been a bad matchup for the Bucks. I mean, Chat 81 in Freedom Hall, 84 now McKenzie. I think it's the, that is the most points the Bucks have given up all year. The 84 points it tied the most first half points given up with Butler, 45. ETSU did manage to come back to tie the offensive rebound, so they've not been out rebounded on the offensive end since Western Carolina. They did come back, forced eight steals in the second half, more points off turnovers. But it was the Hunter Huff show early and often. Six threes for him in the first half. Finished with a career-high nine. A career-high 31 points. And it was the one time where the defense wasn't as rock solid. And, and again, for four or five games, it's been lights out. And right. But for – it's just been – sometimes about matchups. We talk about this, you know. And, and some of that was Chattanooga just moved the ball really well and, and got ETSU crossed up. And it's things that they did. It's not just ETSU failed to do things. It's things that Chattanooga did really well that just created problems for ETSU. And Huff got a lot of open looks, and he honored those open looks by knocking them down. And that thing, <laughs> nice. Um, and, the, uh, you know, I know you get in scramble mode, right? And that's part of ETSU's deal, especially when they got the ball in the post, Sam Alexis, go to double team. And Chattanooga, as, you, as Coach Savage said after the game, you got great passing. They were unbelievable. 
passing. But at some point, when you're in the scramble mode, you're in the backside, and there's two guys, and I'm pointing, nobody can see me, but I'm pointing. And on the wing, let's say it's Hunter Huff, and in the corner is Millen or Randy Brady or somebody like that. After one of the two has hit four or five threes, I would think you don't have to be told. I may want to caution towards the guy that's hit, you know, the seven threes, not the other. And I know sometimes there's principles like you go here, you got to go there, you got to go here. But at some point, I think you have to recognize, okay, somebody is on fire. Let's run to them. And if the other guy hits a shot, more power to you. But try. And I think, you know, I think he just you played to the principles, and in certain instances, I think they just needed on the floor to have a little bit more IQ of, like, this guy is on fire. We may want to pick him up. Yep. And sure. just, you know. Uh, yep. And that's um, – that puts ETSU in a situation where Saturday, if you want to get off a of Friday night, Saturday is a must-win. Western Car- you got to beat Western Carolina now. Um, and I, I think you can start to – if you lose that game on Saturday, you can really start to look at, well, okay, you're the seventh seed. You've got a chance to win a game in the tournament maybe. Um, you've still got Citadel VMI, so you can snag a couple more wins for the end of the season and feel pretty confident about it. But you also have to go to Sanford. Uh, you know, that's not going to be an easy trip. Uh, that That's a you're, – you're at the point now where I think some people are starting to look toward what's, what's coming. ETSU, like what's next and what ETSU needs in the offseason. And I, I think um, this team just needs one or two. This, this team needs, I think it, it's, put it this way. I think the team has a solid group of players, right? But when you look at a stylistic identity and on, on offense, on offense, what is the identity of ETSU on offense? Is this a three-point shooting team? Is this a pound-it-in-the-paint team? Is this a slash-to-the-rim team? They're not really any of those. They're a little bit of all of them, jack-of-all-trades, and master of none. Whereas you look at Chattanooga, Chattanooga is a three-point shooting team. You know, with Huff and Bonham and all their guards, they, they, they shoot them because that's what Daryl did at, uh, at, at VMI. Right, they were they were a shooting team. VMI is still a shooting team, even though he's not there anymore. Sanford, Wofford, those are shooting teams. Um, you've got teams that want to pound the ball inside. Like, I mean, the Citadel is not very good, but they have an identity. They want to go in to um, want to go into the big guy, uh, Melora Brown, and then he kicks it back out. Um, you know, UNCG has um, Brown Jones, and they want to go into him. And he kicks it back out. And Woolbright wants to attack the rim, and that creates open shots uh, you know, for Western Carolina. Those teams have an identity. And, and, and a lot of that centers on, as I talk about, it centers on one guy or a small nucleus of guys. And I really feel like ETSU needs um, something to hang their hat on offensively, and you need to recruit to that uh, because the defensive piece is there. I think you got. I think a lot of. The, I mean, a lot of the guys that are scheduled to return are valuable contributors on defense. So you've got to really go find some firepower that when you get in a slugfest like this one, you get a, a, a game where somebody's hitting a bunch of shots. You have someone that can go down the floor and answer for you. Um, that's kind of looking ahead to what's next. But right now, ETSU still got an opportunity at the six. 
and they're going to go face a team that has an identity. That identity is probably in a bit of crisis right now, or they thought they had an identity that's been in crisis right now because Western Carolina is sitting in sixth, and that's very unexpected for a Catamounts team that looked like a dark horse to win the SOCON at the beginning of the year. They just went on the road and lost by double digits to Sanford that looks like they could run away with it. You look at Jermaine Marshall, and he's been back four games now. They were rotating, what, 11 I guys, give or take, so. not maybe even 12 by then. And now you add him back to the rotation and everything. I mean, he was an all-league type player, I think everyone thought going into that. I thought it was going to be him or Wolbright for player of the year at the beginning because I wasn't sure. He's for sure a first-teamer. Right. Yeah, he's a first-teamer. There's first no doubt, even if you're splitting hairs on – um, we're forgetting somebody off the top of the cuff right now. But if you're looking at the top four or five best players, he was in that conversation. Absolutely. If, if not, possibly the best player, I, I think, just because of size, the style of game. He could hit threes. He goes blah, blah, blah. He's a really good player. Nice piece to that. And when they lost him, I'm thinking, well, how are they going to be able to there? But then other guys stood up. And because they play so many people and the depth of that, they kind of wear you down with depth and get going. They sped up Western Carolina last night to the point where I'm just yelling, like, slow down because West Carolina has a couple really good guards that just got caught up in this pace and style of play that Sanford wanted you to do. But Sanford's looking the part. Sanford, I think they still have some holes when it gets to three games, three days, that a team could knock them off and may not walk away with the championship. But right now they're looking at running away with the regular season championship having that secured number one seed. Somebody told me that uh, uh, Jeff Goodman had written the story on Bucket and Bell and how he's the next Mike Krzyzewski, and it's actually not Jeff Goodman. It's Joe Goodman who writes for the uh, Birmingham paper. And <laughs> let me just say, I don't know. It's Valentine's Day, and I'll, I just want to say I'm pretty sure Joe sent Bucket and Bell in a box of chocolates uh, for the love fest that this article. Uh, he where. He basically says Sanford is an at-large team if they don't win this thing. And no, I they're not. Oh, I know. I, yes. They're not. No. They're they are not. This is a one-bid league. I saw somebody. Forget about one-bid league. Have you seen their out-of-conference schedule? Even? That's brutal. Uh, yes. They lost by 50, was it 54 at Purdue? Yeah. Uh, and they beat 53, by, I'm sorry. They lost by 53. Okay. And, and then they played. Let me read the non-conference right there. Uh, at Purdue, 53-point okay. loss. Okay. At VCU, 10-point loss. Mississippi College, South Carolina State, Alabama State, Merrimack, North Carolina A&T, Louisiana, LaGrange, which is a non-D1, Alabama A&M, Belmont, Valparaiso, Texas Southern. That's their whole non-conference. There are some programs in there that you look at like, oh, that's an okay team. Oh, that's an okay program. Or it was before so-and-so left to take another head coaching job or such-and-such player graduated and they had a lot of roster turnover, blah, blah, blah. That's not great. That's really underwhelming non-conference schedule. And you can't get it at large with that. And that comes back to a lot of other issues that we've talked about with the SOCON structurally, being able to get some decent home games, um, maybe even being willing to go on the road a little bit. But this is... This is Sanford's MO. Sanford does not schedule super, like, radical, tough. You know, it's not Denny Crum. I want to kick my team's butt in the 
non-conference season so they're ready for conference play. Like, it's not like that. Um, th- this, this is the philosophy is go out, win games against teams you know you can beat and beat with some confidence and maybe one or two games that test you and get your style of play locked in so that you're riding high and feeling good and you've got confidence because you've seen the ball go in, you've seen big numbers on the board when you get to conference play. And it works. I mean, in fairness, you know, last year they didn't really have the staying power. I think they had some injuries and some, some depth issues. But this year they have they have kept it going. Um, yeah, Sanford is the – I think they're the runaway favorite for the SoCon title right now. Chattanooga sitting in second, and then it's UNCG. And what we thought was going to be a six-team, hey, anybody can win this, there may only be a couple teams that have a shot at knocking off the Bulldogs right now unless something catastrophic happens between now and March 11th. And I think it's going to be really tough to knock the Bulldogs off. Yeah, and and a little bit last night, uh, obviously we've talked about Sanford really good, get thing cranked. I mean, Marshall, 16 points coming off the bench six of eight shooting. Yeah. For Western Carolina, it's been the exact opposite. They got off to a hot start. Their first defeat was Sanford. That was on the CBS game in Cullowee. And then since then, it has been a downward spiral. Uh, Woolbright has continued to be a double-double machine. Um, first in country double-doubles. He's like second or the only one of like three players that has some ridiculous amount of points and rebounds this year. I mean, he's been – carrying the load, and I think teams have just said, guess what, you can have your 25 or 30. We're going to try to stop everybody else. And since that approach has kind of happened around the league, it has been tough to come by wins, Western Carolina, which is kind of circling back to the original statement Key said, they must win on Saturday. Because if you have any any shot of getting out of the 7-10 game, you're pretty much having to rely on winning that game Getting to six and eight, having Western Carolina fall to seven and seven, then each issue schedule, in theory, is a little softer than what Western Carolina's would be because ETSU would play a couple of teams behind them in the Citadel and BMI. I think Western only gets one of those teams, and they still got to go to chat for a second go around. I still think they got another round with Furman, so they've got, I think, a tougher schedule. About Western or Western Carolina? Yeah, Western. no, their their schedule's brutal, so they're going to play ETSU Saturday, and after that, I think they get the Citadel maybe one more time. Um, but they've still got a, they've still got Furman in chat. And I want to say maybe UNCG. I can't remember. Hang on. I, I, can, I can tell you real quick. they only got five left, I can tell you. That. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, they, they do have, I believe they have VMI at home. No, they're at VMI, which is not a given. That, that could Western be the team that VMI just ruins their year? You know they're going to be good for one. Right, there's always one team that goes to Lexington and comes out with an L that goes, how in the world do we allow that to happen? Uh, Western Carolina's remaining schedule is Bucks at Uncle G, at VMI, Furman at home, at Chattanooga. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a pretty tough close stretch. So if the Bucks could win Saturday, they go to 6-8, and 7-7 seven and is Western now. You could get into some tiebreakers here and there, but ETSU with a chance to pick up a couple more wins with Citadel VMI. Last year, end of the year, you remember not particularly a, a good 
ETSU basketball team knocked off UNCG at home. The buzzer beater yes. where uh, Langley missed a shot at the buzzer. So ETSU have shades have done that before against UNCG. And then uh, who am I missing? Oh, they go to Sanford. So ETSU has a tough test, obviously, at Sanford, who we just talked about being one of the, the premier team in the league right now and a two-game lead. Actually, I think they swept Sanford or swept Chat, so basically a three-game lead uh, in the league for the uh, for the one seed. Um, I guess they can technically share the conference championship if they lost the cup and the Chat tied them. But for the one seed purposes of what we're talking about, Sanford has a three-game lead with five games to go. So – Pretty sure they're going to be able to, to wrap that up. But if ETSU wants to get out of that 7-10 game, and to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure if you want to play matchups, ETSU, we'll see how the second matchup goes with UNCG. One particularly good matchup the first go-round with UNCG has not been a good matchup of chat so far. Now, would I like to see ETSU somehow fall into 3-6 game with chat or 2-7 game with chat and end their season? Absolutely. I would love that. But right now, chat and the style of their play – it's just not been a good matchup for the Bucks, But ETSU on the road, definitely uh, an opportunity there. And then there's still kind of a dogfight all the way around because UNCG, Chad, I mean, I mean, two through five, I think, can still really battle. And I guess, I know Western has a brutal schedule. I guess they could get hot again. But more than likely, I think Western's going to kind of be fighting for that six and seven seed, to be honest with you. And if they beat ETSU, they're pretty much locked in, I think, to the, to the six. If they lose that game, they they're gonna have to play some bad and win a couple more games to make sure that they, you know, aren't falling to that seventh seed and boy have a really kind of an epic collapse considering how they started the season five and zero and and kind of the, the the talk around college basketball honestly uh, because of some of their non conference wins. So it'll be interesting to see as we take a look at the the weekend games. I mean, the the big thing's gonna be for the Citadel. They host VMI. Silvershenko on the basketball court, which isn't a thing for basketball, but same token, that's going to be Citadel's chance to get a revenge because that's VMI's only win. VMI stormed the floor. VMI stormed the court, yeah. <laughs> which is better than the one-man storming of Detroit Mercy from last night. I don't know if you oh, saw that. The I did Owen not 20... see that. I saw, I saw Detroit won. Snapped the 26-game losing streak, and one one soul came on the floor and celebrated arms up with, with themselves and the rest of the Detroit Mercy fans, apparently. So that's now nine wins for Detroit basketball this year. Oh, yes, when you include the pros, that's right. And, then, uh, and it, to show you how bad Detroit basketball has been, I think one of their guys got arrested before the NBA game because he punched the guy in the hallway uh, before the game. So it's just been a great time for Detroit, Detroit basketball. Detroit basketball. So, uh, yeah, uh, now at least he was embracing the bad boys uh, of the early Piston days. But uh, Sanford will go to Mercer. UNCG Wofford, now that's interesting because Wofford's kind of still hanging around there. I mean, they could still climb, you know, in theory, they've still got a shot to get as high as the two seed because not only they play UNCG, but they turn around and play Chattanooga. And so they, they've got an op- I mean, it, honestly, Wofford's one of those teams that, you know, I could you could see them falling. I mean, I could go two to five and you could make an argument. Yes, I see it either way. I could see them beating UNCG. I could see them beating Chat. They get up to a two. I could see them losing both those games. And if Western got hot, all of a sudden they fall to a six seed. But that being said, big game coming up there. And then Chap Furman. If Furman's going to try to claw the way back into it, I mean, it's, it's you're just getting to that point where every game, and I know they all matter when you get in the conference play, because obviously if you look at ETSU, a couple slipped through their fingertips where they had a shot at Sanford at home, had a shot at Furman at home, had the shot at Wofford there. And all of a sudden if you just take 
three, and I'm just cherry-picking games, obviously, and you probably could do the same on a couple of ETSU wins, but you cherry-pick the three games, and all of a sudden ETSU's eight and five instead of five and eight, right? And I'm sure a lot of teams around all of college basketball can sit there and do that, but these are all, you know, coming down to the nitty-gritty for the seeding purposes of what is going to happen, and I mean, you do get to sit and wait and kind of see what Chat and Furman do on Sunday, but for ETSU at this point, it's just win as many games as you can, and it starts with Kowalee, but this is a time of year I love because you get kind of the dog days of February leading up to the tournament, and you're not quite sure when. There are teams that are starting to figure it out, and there are teams that are starting to implode. And this is all around college basketball, and you're starting to see it kind of fall shape of which teams are going to be able to recover if they're imploding, and which teams, you know, if they're surging there, or, or which teams maybe, you know, like, you know, had some injuries and figuring out and getting back. But it's a the standings and the games and the meaning and all that in this time of year is one of my favorite times uh, of the season leading up to March Madness. And, uh, and maybe it's a little bit because football is officially over with and we hit a lull because recruiting's already done and you know, not quite started spring practice. Right. And there's a little bit of, like, all the focus and energy now is on, for me, college hoops and watching it nonstop 24 hours a day when I can checking standings, not just of the Southern Conference, but other leagues and figuring out different things. It's just fun uh, leading up to what will be an interesting, I think, Southern Conference tournament because although Sanford is going to be the number one seed, unless something drastically happens soon, I still, and I mean, maybe it's just I'm not a believer yet. Maybe people, Sanford fans, if they have any, listen to the podcast can send me a, a, some mean memes about how wrong I am if they win the regular season and the SoCon championship, but I think there's some holes that's going to make the Asheville tournament very interesting. I, you know, I think they can do it. I, I, will they? Obviously, is is the is a different question, uh, and one that I cannot answer with any sort of confidence. I, I cannot forecast. I do not have the ability of the power of foresight. But uh, I think just the tempo at which they play um, and defensively, I think they found a little something. And particularly with Marshall coming back, I think it's helped them out quite a bit um, on defense. You know, look at Chattanooga, they held them at 56. You look at uh, uh, obviously VMI is 63, but they held firm into what, 65 or something? Um, and then Western is 62 last night. And they're playing really, really well in all phases right now. I think they've hit their stride at the, at the right moment, and this team is going to be extremely difficult to beat. They are the team to beat, and I would not be the least bit surprised if they won the regular season and then just kept rolling. This is not your typical mid-major in that sense. Like, they're just cruising. What is this again? That's, uh, it's Chill Wave. Chill Wave. Chill Wave, yeah. It's just about the vibe. When you want to chill out. I, I, love me, I love me some Chill Wave. I love Vapor Wave as well. It's like when, when Carly Rae Jepsen made a Vapor Wave album, I was just like, this is, this is the, I was like, this is the pop star that needs to be in the mainstream that, that is not getting her due. Uh, and, uh, I mean, everybody knows Call Me Maybe, right? But did you know that she released three albums after 
Actually, I think it's four now after that, and they're all fantastic. So, yeah, I, anyway. Um, what should we talk about? What, do you want, what did you want to talk about, Randy? Did you want to talk about women's hoops? Or? Well, ETSU Chatting's going to play in women's hoops. It's yeah. going to be on the CW local TV. So, I mean. Uh, this week on the CW. Live golf and women's basketball, ETSU. Well, yeah, I was, I was gonna say like that's uh, you gotta be careful with Live Golf because like CW affiliates preempt Live Golf for other programming. Thank goodness. The, I think the CW affiliate in Tulsa preempted Live Golf last year in Tulsa. It was the, the event was in Tulsa. They preempted it to show infomercials. Ah, that's up there. Paid programming. Show bull riding. Or Paid something. programming. Huh. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, you look at standings for the women. Uh, one, we'll talk about the walking wounded uh, in a minute. Uh, but ETSU sitting in the three slot, which I think is important, right? We talked about that last time. Be on opposite side of Chattanooga. I know they're going to play Chattanooga. They go a long way if they can knock off Chattanooga uh, for a lot of things, help with some seeding things, keep them on the other side of the bracket. Um, yes. But in the same token, you know, talking about rolling Chattanooga right now has been impressive. 9-0, uh, Bucks gave them a scare at their place. Not many other teams have given them a scare. Uh, Wofford continues to be that little engine that could, and they hit enough shots and score enough, that, uh, even with limited bench, that they're sitting pretty at 7-2, and two, a couple of games ahead of the Bucks, and then there's just a, there, there's that kind of the gaggle, the ETSU, UNCG, Furman all kind of battling. I know Furman's kind of on the outside looking Mercer. In. I'm sorry, Mercer. UNCG, Mercer, ETSU, with Furman being the team on the outside Kind of, kind of, and Sanford at three and six, kind of hanging on. But those teams really kind of figuring out how to try to get in that three slot, uh, you know, to because I think there is a big difference in three, four, five versus you know six and seven. And clearly, West Carolina eight is going to struggle. Um, uh, we got the one win at home, but other than that, I mean, they they've had a hard time this year. Now, I I think this is a pivot game for sure because if you win this game. You feel like you might have a little bit of a shot at Wofford because Wofford doesn't have a win over Chattanooga, and Wofford probably won't have a win over Chattanooga. Um, if you so if you somehow beat Chattanooga, then you have a chance. If you go to Wofford and win, then you split, and you've got the tiebreaker because you have the win over the highest-ranked team. And that would potentially vault you into the two seed. But even then, if it doesn't, it still secures you at least the three which puts you on the opposite side of the bracket from the box in Asheville, which is ideally where you want to be. You'd like to meet Chattanooga in the title game and not in the semifinal. Um, UNCG at home, very winnable. Western Carolina should be a win. Then at Wofford will be challenging, and at Furman should be a win. So there's at least three more that you need to win on this schedule. And this one would be a huge feather in the cap for Mock because this team has gone through a lot of adversity lately, um, a lot of injuries. Just, just it feels like um, it feels like a race car trying to make the fi- make it to the finish line with parts flying off of it a little bit. Like it's still like the heart and soul's still together. It's still holding together. It doesn't look pretty, but they're gonna make it. Um, you think it's like they're gonna make it? They're gonna make it. They're going to make it. You just, it's, it's one of those situations where um, you, you wonder how 
this team's going to finish. And, and that, I think, is where ETSU really thrives. And we saw that a little bit at Sanford because offensively, you know what Sanford is. Sanford is not very good offensively on the women's side this year. Uh, Mason Marchbanks can hit some shots, but they just, you know, they just don't have the consistency. And uh, ETSU has held them uh, in the 50s, in, or actually held them in the 40s in Johnson City and held them under 60 at home. And when they get to 69-56, that is uh, I- indicative, I think, of not only of Sanford's offensive woes, but also of ETSU's offense breaking out in a big way. They shot 69.6% in the first half at Sanford and then held on as they kind of you know, ran out of gas because they only had eight available on, uh, on, on Saturday or on uh, Saturday and um, some of those were pretty clear rotations. You know, you weren't going to have Megan Downing and Samia Puckett on the floor at the same time. So, really, it's more like having seven and a half when you look at it that way because you're trying to fill the other four spots with, what, six players. That's hard to do. And they got tired. And, you know, Courtney Moore is still not shooting the ball super great from the outside. And she's now in a position where, uh, she's trying to find other ways to contribute, and she's getting to the rim. She's attacking a little bit more, getting downhill. Maybe that gives her the confidence to open up the three-point shot again and get those going back in because she's still sitting three made threes away from being the seventh player in program history to hit 150 of them. So, yeah, I, I think the offense found something that works at Sanford, and if that continues to work for them, I think they can definitely rattle off at least three and Fingers crossed four of the last five. And if they do that, then they'll be right about where we we asked them to be with the roster they have at the begin and had at the beginning of the year, which is not even the roster that they have now. And is significantly different from the roster that they had at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's, all, it's, the, it's, all the injuries. It's I mean, it's, been, yeah, it's been musical chairs and, uh, and part of the problem again, I think it's like, well, why you have so many scholarships, recruiting different people, this, that, and other, but I think what gets lost in the shuffle is continuity, right? I mean, when you're constantly having to shift who's in the starting five, who's playing what minutes, what position. I mean, Bree Beatty's played, I think, the one through five basically at this She's time. She's played the three, the four, and the five. Yeah, you know, and she never in her probably life when being recruited to ETS, she was like, hey, we need you to play center. And there probably was not a conversation at point. Now, she's doing whatever's asked of her. She's a team player, and that's what people do. But in the same token, I think – you know, and now she has a huge contraption on her shoulder after the, the Wofford game. So, like, she's not total. She's a little bit limited in what she can do as well. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's one of those things where it's a little more complicated than just, oh, you've got enough scholarships and, you know, you throw some people out there. I mean, I think even the practices, I yeah. mean, when you're not able to, you know, when you've got a few players uh, like Kendall Foley that have to wear a boot and not get as much rep and practice because they're trying to yep. save her for the game. I mean, I think it just changes everything. And they're just trying to kind of survive until they're healthy enough. And every time it seems like they get a player back, one or two go out. And, um, you know, still no word on if Chikai Davis is, is going to be back before the end of the year. Certainly that's changed some rotations. And Megan Downing's playing more minutes. I mean, Puckett's having to, to come along a little faster. Maybe they would like. The guards have been a little bit of a shuffle here and there. And, you know, what's Jeremy Daniels' status? I mean, there's a lot of things um, 
that are up in the air, and it's been a little wonky wounded. But what cures that is a little vitamin W. And if ETSU were able to give Chattanooga its only road loss of the year, Chattanooga is a perfect 8-0. and Now, they've lost some neutral site games. Right. But as far as playing true road games, they are 8-0 and on the road. And that is about as impressive as anything in college basketball. Um, they've even lost a home game. But they've not lost any road games. And they're going to come into Johnson City uh, already riding high with the win streak. But certainly that last game where they were able to knock off ETSU at the McKenzie Center late on the foul with a couple and of they're just, in it. they're just so cohesive. They don't play a ton of players, but they just – fit so well together. Thompson and Gwynn and Olaf's daughter in particular, that kind of triumvirate has put them in a position where if they get something from, you know, anybody else on the floor, you know, Porter doesn't have to be a scorer now. Uh, if uh, if Ellis Saldez can give them some points or, you know, just some minutes, hey, great. Like, that, that's great. Uh, but they don't need that at this point to win games. It's mainly been Gwynn and Thompson, but I, I mean, Ola's daughter literally did not miss against ETSU at the Roundhouse. So I mean, they're, uh, she's a, an excellent player as well and somebody that you have to account for uh, in this setup. Yeah, it's mainly Gwynn and Thompson, but again, Ola's daughter can shoot it. Uh, Porter can score it a little bit. She'll shoot a ton of threes. Uh, some of them go in, uh, but she can, you know, she can get to the free throw line as well and do a lot of damage there. Rebound the ball, okay. And that's all they need. That's all they need. And they fit so well together as a group. And they know what they they are trying to accomplish, where the ball needs to go, what spots they need to be on. Um, yeah, this is just a really fantastic team that Sean Poppy's put together. And I hate it. And, it, well, and they just kind of grind you out. It's one of those things. Like, they don't force a lot of turnovers. Um, they play super slow. They well, average they 64 just, points a game. Yeah, they just it, – it's just a grind. If you look at them, they've had a couple blowouts. But for the most part, it's just a a grind where they try to win every quarter by two or three points. And by the time you add up, you know, three points per quarter, it's a eight to 12-point win, right, two to three points per quarter. And all of a sudden, you look up and like, man, we're right there. But – couldn't win a quarter, and it's kind of the, the you know to oversimplify. You know they try to win ten minute quarters, and the more they've been able to win those, the more you know they rack up six seven point wins, and the, the, the left column just keeps growing. Twenty one yeah. and three. They don't play super. Like I said, they don't play super fast. They want to be very deliberate. They take good care of the basketball. Uh, they don't take a ton of shots. Um, they they are really really good on both shooting and defending the three point line. It's a, it's a complete team. It's a really complete team. And, and this is just a um, – I think the planets have just kind of aligned for Sean Poppy and recruiting and going out getting Raven Thompson. Uh, you know, last year, you know, that sort of just worked out nicely. Going and getting Gwynn out of the portal, a player who has postseason experience and was an OBC tournament MVP at Tennessee Tech and, and was looking for a place to play her last year and landed in Chattanooga. Um, just the talent that he was able to accumulate and, and you know, surround those two with really solid role players that can contribute, whether it's defensive minutes, you know, it's spot shooting, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of players that can do a lot of good for 
Chattanooga and other places around that stock hunt. So who was it? Beatty that guarded Thompson because remember yes. Thompson was frustrated. One for eight, technical foul. Yes, because Beatty was in her face the whole time. You know, she tried to go face up and get Beatty to do some stuff to get a better look, and Bree didn't bite on it. And then Thompson scored in the fourth quarter, and she said something to Beatty and got a technical. So I guess my question is the cat and mouse game. How does Sean? Because obviously that's you're you have to know going into Bree Beatty's going to guard Raven Thompson. Yes. So how does Sean Poppy, the cat and mouse game of what does he do, knowing that that's going to happen? Because banking on Olaf Stoddard to go six of six and four of four from three is probably, just statistically speaking, looking at her game over the last year, is probably not going to happen again. So that's well, you be would have said it was statistically unlikely when she did it against ETSU the first. But she was just there were so many looks because that was the thing that ETSU said in their scout in their prep. Hey. We're going to, you know, we got to, it's like Sun Tzu. If you try to defend everything, you defend nothing. We're going to give them Olaf's daughter to take away Thompson and Gwynn or to reduce the percentages for Thompson and Gwynn. And if she starts hitting, then we'll adjust. And she hit, and so they adjusted. Uh, if she does it again, then Chattanooga has yeah, a really I, good chance to win the ball. I think game. that's but the game plan again. Do though. you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it got you to a two-point game where you had a legitimate shot to win it. And the chances of her – I mean, she's 29% from three, 27-91. Sure, she did it the one game. Do you? That, there's no other game that I'm looking at here where she's four or four. So I think that's the that, – you know, it's like a chore, chore. He went five for five. He's not done it again. Like, I think you dare her to beat you, Olstotter, and you try to do what you do because it's 52-50. Now, obviously, Chattanooga knows – Betty's going to be a Raven Thompson. We're going to try to do some different things, maybe screen her away, maybe do some elevator, maybe backdoor. There's a lot of different things they could do to try to get her the basketball and going early because every game's its own. You know, that, that's why these coaches make money, right, because they've got to try to figure that out. But if all things are equal, if ETSU had to pick their poison, I think I would just Daryl of Sauter. If she hit the first two, all right, fine, then you, you, you have a backup plan. But I think you, you stick with that plan that gave you the best shot to win. Nobody, I mean – Hardly anybody else has been that close besides ETSU in the last few seconds against them in the league play. But, again, Sean Poppy is going to have an answer for all this, or at least a game plan expecting probably what I'm saying. He's an, yeah, because he's an excellent coach. And, yeah. that's, that's and the, I'm not. Yeah, the reason that the SOCON is good is because there are so many good coaches here. I mean, you think about it. Susie Gardner's a pretty good coach down at Mercer, and they ran this league for three or four years, and suddenly – you know, everybody else has kind of aligned things. Jimmy Garrity's got it going at Wofford. Poppy, Mock, uh, Trina Patterson's got things uh, rolling at UNCG this year. Suddenly, you know, there's so many high-quality coaches in the league that are at programs that maybe weren't winning during that stretch that, it, you know, Merce, Mercer's not the big kid on the block anymore. Uh, Mercer's got three or four that they need to be on the lookout for trying to take their lunch money even though they've got, I think, a player who possibly in any other year would be the player of the year in some of Evans. It's just a phenomenal basketball player. Uh, they, they're not able to dominate this league the same way that they did. And uh, that speaks to, I think, the ability of SOCON teams to put resources on their women's basketball programs to attract and retain high-quality coaches that are able to build winners. And the league is 
so good right now. Chattanooga is two games clear of the field. Wofford is two games clear of the field other than Chattanooga. And everybody else is in a dogfight. I think Carly Coon is a really good coach at Sanford. She just needs time to figure it out um, with, with this group of personnel, you know, post-Bailey uh, or Cornoyer or whatever you want to – her last name's Bailey now. Uh, Post-Andrea Bailey, you uh, you got some things that you need to figure out. But I think the coaching talent at this, in this league in women's basketball is at an absolute all-time high, and Sean Poppy is at the, the sharp end of that right now. And we'll stay that way. Uh, you got one more? I do. It'll be a short segment. Okay. Is it about, is it about, is it about what's coming up on Friday? No, it's going on Friday. Baseball? Yeah. No. It's about I'm going to talk about baseball. It's about a Monday press conference. ETSU baseball. Friday, Lafayette. 3 o'clock. No. Is it 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock on Friday? And I didn't let you do math. You, I was going to. Yeah, I, I, now I'm going I'm to make, make you contribute to this. It's 3 o'clock. It's a 3-2-1 series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So the, the second game is at the same time as women's basketball. Uh, but at least be out there on Friday and Sunday to support the Bucks. Who knows if they're going to get to play Saturday anyway because of the weather. So it might be a doubleheader on Sunday. Get out and support Buccaneer Baseball. They have the number two, D1 Baseball ranked in the number 12 first baseman in the country in Cameron Cisneros. Ashton King really good at short. Cody Miller really good at third. Tommy Barth is back after that injury scare against VMI back in the spring. He's full go. Nick Iannatone is going to be a really great bat as well. Uh, and they've got a very different-looking pitching staff that's still got a couple of arms in the bullpen from last year that looked really promising. So um, they got to figure out who's going to pitch, but this team we know has the bats to generate some runs. And I think they're going to be a really exciting team to watch this year. Season tickets are on sale. They start at $75. That's $2.59 58 cents a game. You cannot beat it. You cannot beat it for value. Come watch some college baseball at the Tom in 2024, starting Friday, 3 o'clock. I think the Bucks will be t- in a tight pack. I think the SoCon, the top six teams are going to be pretty competitive. And I would not, I would be, sur- I would not be surprised to see ETSU right in the thick of that, just trying to wade through like Western Carolina, UNCG. Wofford, I think, is going to take a bit of a step back this year. Sanford is the prohibitive favorite because they can hit the snot out of the ball, and uh, they might have just enough pitching to get them over. So, yeah, should be a fun year. But you want to talk about uh, Allen Vitale. Well, I just thought, you know, I, baseball didn't sneak under the radar because there's a schedule, and you know what's going to happen. There's been no discussion, really, about the search for ETSU men's soccer, and all of a sudden, hey, soccer coach. And so – I know there was a lot of um, rumors out there, and people were just shooting me messages left and right about, hey, there's no national search, there's no this, that, and other, what's going on, why are we not talking about it, uh, and then all of a sudden, bam, new coach. So, um, and I think a great hire. I mean, you look at what Mattel uh, been agree. able to do with Carson Newman for 14 years, then going over to his alma mater at Tusculum for 13 years, and then making the short jaunt from Greenville over to Johnson City, um, I think was, you know, again, because a lot of people, I think when – 
David Lilly got hired, there were a lot were like, well, you know, maybe because I mean, he was there before. Is that safe? Are you really doing whatever? And then, obviously, Lilly came in one and was able to go to UAB and Absolutely. stepped up in competition. And, honestly, from Milligan, from NAI to Division One, now you're talking about Division Two to Division right. One. So, certainly, um, you know, ETSU's had some success going that route as opposed to going some of the – I've done a little bit different ways. They've gotten some power five assistants that have been able to come in and do good. They've been able to, you know, take Lily. Now they're going to go to the town and see if, you know, playing up uh, is going to be the route to go. I, you know, when I saw the name, I've obviously heard of the name, but I, I would be lying if I said I knew a lot of the bio before um, he was hired. I'd I knew a little bit. I knew he had been very, very good at Carson Newton. And uh, I, I hadn't been, I hadn't kept up with him as much at Tuscaloosa because I hadn't been living in the area while he was at Tuscaloosa for the most part. Uh, but uh, he uh, had a lot of success with 12, you know, 10 NCAA tournaments, 12 conference titles between regular season and tournament uh, at uh, at Carson Newman and Tuscaloosa. He is the second winningest coach in the history of the South Atlantic Conference. So he's got the he's got the bona fides. He's got the track record. He has proven himself as a head coach at the Division II level. It's the kind of guy that you want taking a step up. What I am curious about is his leadership style and the kind of culture he builds. David Lilly was the ultimate players coach. Like He was somebody that created an environment that the players just loved being around him. They hung out with the coaches, and that allowed him to build the trust. Like when you're out there at practice – you know, it, when when it was time to chill out, like he would, you know, he he uh, they go back and forth, like they trade barbs, you know, just like good natured ribbon, uh, created an environment where everybody felt very comfortable and welcome, and they were all really excited to be there. And um, how you go about that is different for everybody, but I think recreating that environment could be a challenging and be very rewarding for uh, he, uh, Alan Vital if that's what he the, the route he decides to go. He could be a very different kind of coach. I don't know. I haven't met the guy yet. But but how he builds um, that relationship with his players and what kind of culture he builds at ETSU is going to determine whether or not ETSU keeps winning. Well, you know, winning at D1 is obviously a little different than D2 and some other things. But, you know, I do think something that translate when you go – to a couple places and spend over a decade at two different places and have the success you do, winning or culture or whatever term you want to use, I think certainly he's proven himself to at least get a shot to see what he can do. And track record would say it would be tough for me to think that you won that many games and not be able to. Um, now, are you truly a player's coach compared to something? I, I don't know, but I think – you can't have that type of success, and obviously your players even not respect you, want to play for you, something like that. It just could be different, yeah. right? You know, Lily is more of a, a joking type person in general when he walks down the hallway and says something to you. You know, he's, he's pretty quick-witted, so there's some smart yes. comments that come here and there that, 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 that we enjoyed, right? And that reflected in the environment that he created, and the guys loved it. I mean, I was out at practice a lot in October in particular. The guys just love being around him. They love being around the program. So I think if you can recreate that, that that feeling of wanting to be there every day, that's going to provide the success that ETSU is accustomed to in, in men's soccer. 
And, and as always, once we get through the press conference, let them get settled. We need to have them on the podcast, be able to talk. I talked to Lindsey Devine the other day. We've still not had her yeah. on since there. So we'll get Coach Devine on. Um, See, that's that's tough because they're across the way at Brooks. I always feel back, like with women's basketball, every time I run into mock, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm just so isolated from you guys because you're not over here. Yeah, she had a recruit on, and so I was in the hallway. I was like, hey, you know what I've not thought about? And I know you're kind of in the heat of kind of your spring practice and stuff, but at some point if you've got, you know, a few minutes to spare, me and Keith would love to, to talk to you on the pod and, you know, kind of reminisce a little bit about the first go-around and certainly, more importantly, talk about the second go-around in volleyball and what to expect there. But Coach Fattel is going to be officially – I know he's already hired and at the press release out there, but officially the press conference on Monday yep. – let him kind of get settled uh, into the office and some roster things, and then we'll we'll get him over here and certainly. Uh, I, I talk can to tell him. you that that Lindsey Devine is going to up the recruiting game for volleyball, though. If you just want to sidebar it, because uh, this she's on the website, so we can talk about her. Um, Reese Rhodes, six foot one setter grad transfer from Texas Tech, uh, who had two thousand career assists in Lubbock. Pretty good. So the one thing I do think Devine has an advantage where she was the former head coach at Alabama and then the volunteer assistant at Mississippi State. She's got She's got a lot of contacts of a lot of recruits that she was trying to work with yeah. there that she'll know at least for the next few years kind of intimately like, hey, remember I was recruiting you here? It's another you weren't. Maybe it's not a good fit there. Maybe it's not here. About ETSU, so I do think there is yes. um, some big advantages that she does bring to the table, um, at least for the next few years. Yes, uh, but Reese Rhodes, uh, I think, uh, solves one of the big challenges for Lindsey Devine in rebuilding that roster. Is uh, and she doesn't have to rebuild much because most of the players stay. But uh, where do you go for a setter? Because your setter Mel Anderson from last year graduated, and uh, you have two really young players in that role. Otherwise, you need a veteran setter to get this team back to the top. I think that's going to unlock so much for Brianna Cantrell and just the offensive potential of this team takes a significant shot in the arm with the addition of, of somebody like Reese Rose. So, Lindsey Devine can recruit. And if Alan Mattel can recruit like that, then uh, men's soccer will be just fine. All right, that's show for today. That is the show for the day. Monday, Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, there's there's the day. It's Thursday is today. Mm-hmm. Monday, what do we got? Monday. Um, Recap. Well, I guess it'll be Tuesday. Yeah, right? we got Tuesday, press conference. We got, we got, we got all that on Monday. press conference yeah. on Monday, but also Tuesday, a lot to talk about on the pod with name, image, and likeness, um, and try to get as much of that information out to you as we possibly can because, as Doc said uh, on social media earlier this week, the gears have turned on name, image, and likeness at ETSU, and we are ready to get some things rolling and excited to um, share what details we can of that with our listening public, Jay and Keith, on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Not here,